You know, I want to take this time to introduce myself and my family. Of course, I'm Scott Kirkpatrick. Uh, we just moved here uh, to the Inland Empire, part of the uh, L.A. Church and the Riverside Ministry. And uh, we moved from the East Coast, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, because uh, we were converted, my wife and I, in the Atlanta Church uh, 25 years ago. And, uh, you know, we have three incredible daughters. Uh, my wife is named Theresa Kirkpatrick. You see her. She's beautiful. Um, and I have three beautiful daughters, London, who is 18, Sydney, who is 16, and Asia, who is 14. You know, I've been working with diversity uh, for about 25 years. I'm the chairman of the ICOC squad. Uh, like I said, I was you know, a part of the Southeast uh, portion of our family of churches. And, uh, but now I'm out here in California and I'm so grateful to be a part of the ministry out here. You know, April 4th, 1968 was the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Hotel. At the same time, uh, in, in Fort Mill, Rock Hill, South Carolina, York County Memorial Hospital, I was born. Uh, and so, uh, this, this year makes 53 years of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, but also I turned 53 years, uh, old. And, uh, I, I want to say that I appreciate the passion and the determination for unity that Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, exhibited. But more important, I appreciate Jesus Christ in the determination, uh, that he had for unity. Uh, it's because of Jesus that I'm here today, and I am humbled uh, for the opportunity to address my brothers and sisters. You know, there are many, many men and women who have influenced my life uh, to help me get to this point. Now, I'll just name a few. You know, Ben Barnett studied the Bible with me. He's also on, uh, you know, our diversity team for the ICOC. James Campbell is also on the diversity key, uh, team for the ICOC, uh, Michael Burns, uh, Darren Gauthier, uh, Steve Staten, uh, who is not on the diversity team anymore, but he was uh, very, there at the very beginning when he and I and Darren uh, were talking about these issues in our movement years and years ago. Uh, there were, there's a special man I want to uh, introduce to you today, Andy Van Buren, and, uh, you know, he is a brother that made such an impact in my life. But, you know, uh, before I get to Andy, I just want to show you some pictures of how crazy, how crazy it is uh, for our, our country. It's so divided. You see, you see people rioting and people marching that are, you know, African-American. You see some that are white American. And uh, what I see is that people are are divided in this country uh but uh but we we have to make sure that that division doesn't flow into the church and uh and so that's what we'll be talking about today you know um andy van Buren is a is a uh, is a man who changed my life uh he's a he's somewhat of a uh, you know small in stature brother He's a white guy. He's probably a quarter of my size, but he is a man that is a man of passion. 
And, uh, you know, I loved him deeply. He's gone on to glory, uh, but he made such an impact on my life. And I'll tell you how he did that. And I remember uh, in a staff meeting where I was I was just going off, you know, about race and, 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 you know, and the division that we have and how I've been treated and how black people are treated and it wasn't fair. And, and, uh, and he had the guts enough uh, to, uh, uh, get, you know, me and ask me to come to uh, decide so he could just speak with me about something. And then, and so we did, and he had the guts enough to say, you know, Scott, listen, man, the things that you're saying are right. They are right. And, and I respect you for that. But he said, but the way you say them, it makes it difficult for people to hear you. And make it difficult for people to hear you. And I tell you, those words um, from that man of major stature in my heart uh, changed my life. Because he had the guts enough to just be honest with me and, and up front and love me enough to tell me the truth. And I thank God for at that moment, my heart was in the right place to listen and because of that conversation, it helped change my life. It actually changed my approach to how to deal uh, with diversity or race or culture or unity. And uh, so I thank my brother Andy uh, every day. You know, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to poke the dragon. We're going to have to poke the dragon. We, we cannot be afraid to go to places that are uncomfortable. And today we're going to go there. We're going to go to some places that are uncomfortable. And so I want to, uh, uh, you know, I want everyone to turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to start here in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want you to do. We want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered. You, a wicked in generation, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for miraculous signs, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fist, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, God a God who conquered death is the title of our message. And I want you to think about what happened here when, when Jesus is talking about him dying and being resurrected. He said he's going to be in the earth for three days and three nights, and then he's going to rise again. And I want us to think about the power of the resurrection and to be re-enchanted by the resurrection. You know, I have three points today. My first point is revealing revelation. My second point is radical repentance. And my third point is re-enchanted by the resurrection. Re-enchanted by the resurrection. What is the sign of the prophet Jonah? Let's look back at the book of Jonah. Let's go through the account of Jonah. So turn over to Jonah chapter one. We're going to start in verse one. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Anamai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port after praying, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And so we know, we all know this story. This is a, a story that had been translated year after year, even as children are born and children are being raised is in children's books, but it's also in, in, in our Bible. And I want us to just listen and think about Jonah and his story. He, God comes to him as a prophet, a man of God, and God wants him to do something. And what does he do? He runs away from God. He runs away from God. And so he goes down to Joppa. He gets on a boat, right? He gets on a boat. But these men on the boat then go, they go into a storm. And they want to find out who brought this calamity upon us. And so they go down and wake Jonah up because he's in the bottom of the boat at this time. And they ask Jonah, hey, what have you done to cause this? And we're going to pick up in verse 14 here. And it says, then they cried to the Lord. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life because they're going to throw Jonah over uh uh, over the you know over the side of the boat into the ocean uh, to kill him so that the storm would die down. It says, "Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please." Verse fifteen. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this time, at this the man the, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I want you to see what happened here. Here we have these men who are there with Jonah. And, and, and of course, Jonah is uh, because he's running from God have brought this turmoil on this, on these men. They realize they need to get rid of Jonah in order to calm the sea. And so they do that. But these men, because of that act, they saw the power of God and they repented. They wanted to worship God and they, they, they made vows to him. In verse 17, it says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And see, I want us to remember that we just read in Matthew that Jonah, uh, the, the, the account of Jonah being in the belly of the fish three days and three nights is linked also to the Messiah being in the earth three days and three nights. And then he was, he's raised, he was raised from the dead. Now, the question is, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? You know, I ask myself this question. Would he have wanted to come to America? Would the wickedness and the violence in America 
be such a stench in his nostrils that he would not want to go to America. But see, God, you know, wanted Nineveh to be saved, even because of the wickedness. He wanted Nineveh to be saved. That's why he sent Jonah. But would he be willing to come to America? Is America so wicked? And I want us to talk about this because my first point is simply revealing revelation. And, you know, I want to talk about uh, all the social unrest, the endless streams of news that tempts me to despair, the persistent racism and systematic oppression that mar our society. Sometimes I feel like, would this ever change? And so I become somewhat hopeless. How about you? The political leaders that continue to further divide our country in the church so often views the things through the lens of a particular political party rather than the gospel. And so at times it makes me feel hopeless. You know, some white church members are joining the fight uh, to fight for justice and to fight against injustice. And sometimes I think, is it just a spike in, in sympathy or is it something deeper? Is people getting some conviction and wanting to uh, uh, see the oppression and they fight against it? Is it a, a simple spike in sympathy or is it something that's causing deep conviction. And I want to share about a brother named Scott Sweeney. And I've been talking to Scott, uh, you know, since I moved to the Inland Empire. And this is a white brother who I respect. And I, I, he and I had a conversation last week about his conviction because he, he does see the hurt and the pain that people of color are feeling. And I'm not just simply talking about African-Americans. I'm talking about people of color, but not just people of color because there are white people who are hurting too. But Scott's conviction is deeper than just a, a quick spike of sympathy. It is a biblical conviction to do what is right by his brothers, most of all by his God. Because he realized that when we had a year like 2020, we cannot ignore it, move on. Can we slay the monster of racism? Sometimes I feel like I need some type of signal that God has not abandoned us to human vices. I want to find room for hope when the reason for it seems in short supply. I remember years ago, me and some of the people on the ICOC squad warned our brotherhood that there is intense racial atmosphere. There's an intense racial atmosphere that is seeping into our churches or it's exposing what's been in our churches for a long time and is coming to the surface. But see, what happened is God brought the attention to all of us. 
in, in, in the year 2020. See, God allowed some things to happen in 2020 that, that got everyone's attention. And I believe this. We have better pay attention. And I think we have got to learn from it. I think about Nineveh, how wicked and violent of a place it was. But I also think about America, how wicked and, 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 and violent of a place it can be at times. And I see at times these things in the world seeping into our churches. And we cannot allow that to happen. So God should reveal. We should embrace God revealing our true hearts in the church. So that we can be in a place. Where we see ourselves clearly. And after the revealing of our true hearts, we can embrace repentance. We can embrace repentance. In Jonah chapter one, verse 17, it says, but the Lord provided a great fish. And that great fish there in Jonah chapter seven, chapter one, verse 17 is masculine in Hebrew. And then it says to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish. And that word fish there is also in Hebrew masculine. But it says that he was there for three days and three nights. And then you see in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1, from inside the fish, in that word in Hebrew, it's feminine. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. So so in, in Jonah, we see actually two fish. There's a, there's a, a, a feminine fish and there's a masculine fish. Now, why do we have this? See, in Hebrew, we have two fish. I think God is, is, is helping us understand here. Because the female gender means fertility, means rebirth, means reborn. And so I think Jonah is is get ready to have an opportunity to be born again, to be reborn, to, to have a chance to repent and, and start anew. But I also think Nineveh has a chance to do the very same thing, to be reborn, to, 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 to repent, to start anew. Chapter 2, you see Jonah prays intensely for his life. In the middle of the fish, in the belly of the fish, is it real or is it not? Is this conviction real or are they not? We'll see in just a second. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, masculine, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It vomited Jonah onto dry land. And I believe... This is a, a new birth for Jonah. So my second point is simply radical repentance. Radical repentance. So we're going to Jonah chapter 3. And I want you to see what happens here. Right? Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I want you to remember this. The second time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The first time Jonah rebelled. He ran away from God when the word of the Lord came to him. 
But here now, after the rebirth, after a chance to repent, Jonah wants to listen. And so in verse two, it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And in in the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. A five word sermon that the Lord gave Jonah to preach. And look at the response of the Ninevites. Verse five, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his, his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a, pro- a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, Taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let the man and the beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. So that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, he, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And I don't know about you, but this is absolutely amazing to see true repentance to see radical repentance so we see first of all in verse one through three we see jonah comes out of the fish and he is a different mindset his mindset is ready to obey god god comes to him and he does what the lord says he obeys god and he preaches the five word sermon that causes a whole nation to repent. Here we're talking about a treacherous people, the Ninevites. I mean, they were brutal. They killed babies. They raped women. They murdered people. They were treacherous. But something about God's word changed their hearts. See, The heart of acknowledgement and willingness to understand and brokenness is a great platform for radical repentance. It's a great change. It's a great platform for change. No excuses and no defensiveness. Look at the king's response. 
Look at the king's response. He ordered, first of all, he repented. He got on his knees. He cried out to God. He put on sackcloths. And then he ordered a decree to all of his people to do the same, to fast, to, 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 uh, to, to have sorrow, to be broken. And because of his leading his people this way, it caused God to respond. And God said, you know, I will have compassion on you because of your heart that is broken, because your heart that is right and pure and ready uh, to be to repent. See, I believe. Great people. Have great potential. Even us who are sinners. God gives us great potential. And I believe. And I pray that people can change and they will change in the church and they will be what we need to be for the Lord. And I know church, I know for fact that we who are in the church know how to help the world change. We know how to love people and get in there with people and study the Bible with people and show them the example of Jesus. Of Jesus. I'm going to move on to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said to you when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh God, now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live, than to live. The Lord replied, have you have any right to be angry? In verse uh, verse eight of chapter four, you know, it says when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And that scorching east wind is a. It represents God's judgment and God's judgment is not on Nineveh, but he's bringing judgment on Jonah. Why is he bringing judgment on Jonah and not Nineveh? And we'll talk about that in just a second. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. See, God is trying to bring judgment on Jonah because Jonah's heart is wicked is not in a good place. It's not in a good place. In verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. 
I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? You see, the deal is, I want us to look at God's heart versus Jonah's heart. And I want you to think about where your heart is, church. See, Jonah's heart, now this is supposed to be a, a, God, a man of God, a prophet of God, a church man, Right? But it says he is displeased and angry. He is unforgiving and evil. He is childish and immature. He is hateful and non-concerned. He is unloving and vengeful. He is disobedient, rebellious, and defensive. That's the heart of the man of God. And so when somebody says, well, hey, we're a perfect church. No, we're not a perfect church. Everybody knows we're not a perfect church, but... You know what I'm saying? We are sinners just trying to get to heaven. But we have to check ourselves and make sure we're more like God than we're like, than we're like Jonah. I want us to compare what I just read about Jonah's heart to God's heart. Look at God's heart here. Gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in love. Empathetic. He relents from sending calamity, concerned and forgiving, patient and long-suffering, humble and hopeful. And see, because we serve a God that is hopeful, we are hopeful. We should be full of hope because of the resurrection, because we have a Savior that was in the ground for three days, but he rose on the third day. Where does my hope come from? Not from the usual place, not from the government, not from education, not from facing, not from the faces that attended marches and protests. My trust goes deeper. The trust that I have is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can get no deeper than that. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, I have faith. That things will get better. Why? Not in the world because the world is going to continue to be the world. But the church. The church. Will save the world. And we are the church. We are the church. And the way in which we. Reconfigure. Our spiritual minds and hearts. God has has a long history of giving his people a belief in seemingly impossible things. Look at the story of Jonah. He does the impossible. And lastly, I'm going to close out with this point. Reenchanted by the resurrection. In Matthew chapter 12, we're going to finish where we began. 
Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, teacher, we want you. We want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the in the heart of the earth. The man, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for their for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. And that is Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verse 23 says, did not Christ have suffered these things and then enter glory? In Luke 24, verse 32 says, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? See, in both responses, Jesus point to the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection is the power to overcome. Because God overcame death. And if God can overcome death, he can overcome any issue we may face, including race, uh, ism, including, including racism, or anything that hinders. Because the tomb is empty. Christ rose from the dead. And because we have a risen Christ, we have a powerful fellowship. We have his body. And his body responds to the resurrection and i'm calling us as a people to be re-enchanted to be re-enchanted by the resurrection of jesus christ he overcame death he overcame Our God is not a genie, but he's not like any other human. He's not like any human. He defeated death. And he has the full scope of everything in existence. We see it in the early church. After the birth of the church, Christian became their own nation within a nation. A new universal uh, a commonwealth that spanned all the known world crossing traditions, cultural barriers, all of that. And see, this is the deal. Christians are our true nation. Not America. See, we are, we are believers. That's more important than any nation, any race, any tribe, any political party, any class. We're brothers and sisters. And we got to regain that vision today because that's the vision that our first century church had. That's the vision that the early church had. And that's the vision that we have got to hold up. In closing. The defeat of death is God's greatest triumph. It reshapes the disciples' imagination. 
forever destroying the limits we place on our God. I pray that today and every day that we remember the resurrection. And I pray that this week we will focus on letting God reveal our true hearts. We will be, we will be re-enchanted by the, by the resurrection and radically repent from the things that, that are not consistent with the heart of our Father. See, the deal is, we serve a God. We serve a God that conquered death. Thank you, my brothers and sisters.